Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the ultimate catalog collection. You are traveling through another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead, your next stop, the ultimate catalog clash. What do you think, Corey? I'm going old school black and white TV for the intro. What do you reckon? I thought you made that up. That's amazing. <laughs> Kevin just, I don't know if he wrote that or he's just uh, just right off the top of his head, but it, it almost sounded like the Twilight Zone, but I hadn't seen that show in a while, so... It's the Twilight Zone I ripped. I think it was, I think that was the first season one too because they he did about can't think of the guy's name now, but he did four or five. Rod Serling. Yes, he did. He did four or five, and that I think that was the first one. So, so yeah, I'll try okay. it out. We'll try it on, see if it fits. And yeah, I don't know. I'm still not happy. Great, great, great show. Like uh, I, I still try and catch the repeats uh, on cable every now and then. The movie, not so much. I was actually reading a book about the uh, the tragic accident that happened on uh, John Landis's portion of the set. Oh, you you're not familiar with this. Uh, John, uh, it was three different directors uh, directed segments for the uh, Twilight Zone, right? Steven Spielberg yeah. uh, produced it. John Landis did one of the segments, and uh, he there was a, a Vietnam sequence, and uh, actor Vic Morrow was carrying two Vietnamese children in his arms, and he's supposed to be trudging through like a lake while he's being chased by a helicopter that's shooting at him. But something went wrong with the helicopter. Helicopter crashed, and the rotors actually decapitated all three of them, and they caught it on film. Oh and just, my god like john landis is just a notorious hothead who just would just eschew safety everywhere like no no dude we just yeah. gotta go just gotta do this do that and so safety was never in consideration at all and it, it took three lives and there's this book it shows and tells in graphic detail what the hell happened in the aftermath of that and it's it's a very very tough read but so my memories of the twilight zone are a little bit sully just because of the movie but the show was great well you've you brought me down now Corey. Holy I'm sorry, hell. man. <laughs> How about a little racism to kick off our night here? That's good. <laughs> well, let's let's introduce people to other shows if they're just joining us. Oh, okay, so, okay. This is the Ultimate Catalog Clash, where myself and my good friend and co-host Corey Morissette take on the discography of one artist per season to find out which of the records we will crown as their undeniable catalog champ. And it won't be undisputed. I'm sure it'll be hotly or possibly warmly disputed in some cases, but there's also a little side bet that Corey and I have each season. Each episode sees us review the songs on one side of an album awarding 10 points for music, 10 for lyrics, and 5 for production. At the end of each episode, Corey and I will have a score out of 25 to award to the album side. Once we've done the whole album, we'll then award a cumulative score out of 100. So, back to that little side bet, Corey. How do we decide next season's artist? What's the format? Well, what we decided was, is we were going to uh, decide who could guess which album is going to be the highest rated out of the entire catalogue. Uh, and we thought, you know what, to make it a little more fair even, let's discount the most popular album. So if we were doing Metallica, you take out the Black Album. Uh, if you're doing Phil Collins' Aero Genesis, we're taking out Invisible Touch. Now, uh, I had to talk to somebody off a ledge here today. They thought we weren't going to cover Invisible Touch at all, and I had to say, no, no, we're still going to cover it. Oh. We're still oh. going to grade it. It just doesn't count for the bet on who picks the act for Season 2. So our cumulative score so far, uh, we've had, all of them are above average. Um, right now, the current leader is Duke at 74.5 out of 100. So 74.5% uh, on Duke. But Genesis, uh, side eight, looking really good. 
uh, so far. Uh, like I said, it's looking really good so far. I'm 23.5 out of 25. Uh, Kevin, what was your uh, total score on side A of this album? I was 23. So we were we were really hot inside one of this album, and I think justifiably so. Oh, absolutely. had uh, some uh, Stone Cold classics like Mama on this one. Uh, that's all. I uh, got a very high score. And then the, the two longs, Home by the Sea and Second Home by the Sea, um, th- by far the best side that we've covered on the show so far, if I dare be that bold. Well, and I'm curious to see how side two holds up because it's that's a tough act to follow. You know, you've got four songs there. Well, you know, I guess three really because Home by the Sea and Second Home by the Sea are really kind of one thing. But you've got three, four songs there that are just in the in the pocket the whole way down. There's like I, we find it hard to really criticize anything about them too much. So. I think side two is going to be a little bit more of a challenge. I think we'll have a bit more variance, but I hopefully we'll still come out strong. So, yeah, I agree. It's a little more dyslexic. You got they uh, lean one way for sure, and then they go off in another direction for a couple of tracks as well. Um, but the first one uh, is, is that racism that that I mentioned uh, off the hop. Uh, this is a little track called "Illegal Alien." Now uh, we should maybe just tackle this right off the hop. I think you can either choose to look at it as being satirical, which is how the band intended it and how the band wrote it or horrifically racist. And you seem to either fall on one side or the other. Uh, Kevin, when you think about Illegal Alien, how did you think about it? It's tough, right? Because, I mean, I knew that song when I was young. And before I knew there was such a thing as American racism toward Mexicans or any sort of racism toward Mexicans. So I didn't know that that was a thing, right? So to me, it was just pastiche. It was, yeah, it was a bit of, it was a bit of comedy. And I don't think, like you said, I don't think that three upper-class Englishmen would necessarily... Have written from a standpoint of wanting to be disparaged of Mexicans, so I never took it that way. Now, having said that, the video you wouldn't do these days, right? You t- in today's yeah. days, you simply wouldn't make that video, and, I, and Genesis wouldn't do it. And I'm sure if you spoke to them, they would say, "Yeah, we we wouldn't do that again." So I don't know. Although there's one element of the video that I still love, and that's Phil Collins in the morning taking his hair and putting it on right when the alarm <laughs> clock goes off. So <laughs> that part's still okay, right? It's still okay, and I mean, like I said, I mean. We'll get into it and we'll get into it, but there's only really two lines that are a bit sort of heavy-handed, I would say. Because, again, it, it, when you're dealing with sat- satirical content, in, in, we've talked about this on your, um, we talked about this on your other podcast, um, Backtracks Theme Music. You can tackle, you can handle satire in, a, in an hour and a half where you can develop character and you can make it very, very clear that there's context for what you're trying to say. In a three, four-minute pop song, it's a little bit more difficult, and that's where, you know, Money for Nothing runs into the same issue where that's been sung from character and that's a specific thing where it's satirizing or parodying or or you know lambasting a certain attitude and i think you know it's very difficult to do that in three minutes now were they doing that on this song i don't know i tend to like i said i tend to think so but you know what when we get to it we'll we'll definitely uh we'll definitely get into it and i think you know no apologies i think you've got to own that stuff when you when you make a mistake and as far as i know genesis have never sort of shied away from saying ah you know maybe we shouldn't have done that no I found a quote from Tony saying, you know, it's a tongue-in-cheek thing. Uh, it's meant to be sympathetic towards illegal aliens. And actually, they wrote it originally about how hard it was to get a visa to go play in the States. Yeah. So, depends so on, that, on kind of the lens you choose to look at it through sometimes, too. Absolutely. One thing I love, too, I don't know if you, if you caught this, Corey, is when you, because the Mama Tour, they did shoot, right? So they did incredibly, I don't know if you, again, if you don't know much research, done this. they did 70 dates on the Mama Tour, 65 dates were in the U.S., Five dates were in the UK, and they didn't go to Europe at all. So they did five dates, five nights at the NEC in Birmingham. And what's cool about Illegal, illegal Alien is 
the intro to it is Phil Collins has the boogie box and he's kind of in character and he's listening to all the current hits of the day and he's kind of playing him through the, you know, through the mic and, well, there's a little song in there that you might know called uh, Jump by Van Halen. Yes. They play that and then, of course, they play the intro, you know, the, the honking of the horns and the, the street noise and everything else and then the band comes in. So it's a great introduction to a song and that little bit of theatre and performance that Phil started to do a little bit more. All right, let's check it out. This is Illegal Alien kicking off Side B of Genesis. All right, right off the hop, Kevin, I know you're going to shit down my neck, but I, I love this music. Like, it's just so happy and so fun. It brings me back to my childhood. Uh, I, oh, it's such an earworm, too, but I'm never sad when I get stuck in my head. I'm just bopping around the street, kind of like they are in the video, maybe a little less racist, hopefully, but just <laughs> just digging the music. I, I love this tune. Why do you think I would shit down your neck for that? Because it's not Tony Banks writing an 18-minute <laughs> fucking jizz fest about whatever, a piece of belly button lint. It's great. It's it's pop perfection, right? If you, like you said, it is. a good pop song. If you come away home in it, then it's done its job, right? That's that's exactly what you're supposed to do with a pop song. And you know, we should say again as a reminder for people who didn't listen to last week, maybe that this was the first album where Genesis wrote all the songs together, the music for all the songs together, and then each of them took the lyrics and, and went away and wrote the lyrics. So this is a Phil Collins lyric on top of a very bouncy team effort musically. That's right. Uh, let's keep it going here because now we're going to get into maybe the, the problematic uh, uh, accent that Phil Collins uh, does for his character here. You know what? I was today years old before I realized he says uh, the sun is shining, so I head for the park. I always thought it was the bar. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I never yeah, looked but- at the lyrics before. I just yeah, sang I mean- it wrong for... 30 years. <laughs> I mean, I did, you know, I'm sure like you did too, did too when you were a kid. You had an album as a kid. I devoured the lyrics. I wanted to know what every oh. word was, right? So I think I probably just knew it from there. But, and again, I mean, I was going to talk to you about this because I noted this as well. It's a vague accent. I don't think he's trying to do a Mexican accent. It's, it's just generic foreigner, right? Which is, you know, that's offensive in a way because it's dismissive, whatever. But he's yeah. not singing it. It's not a, a specific parody because you could really lean, lean into a Mexican accent and make it ridiculous, which he's not doing. So think it's think it's okay the fact he's going for a bottle of tequila does that hey english that leans a little more mexican does it (laughs) (laughs) fuck everyone drinks tequila jesus yeah well that's true So I love that key change into that pre-chorus. You get that nice, big, bright major chord. And then the other thing that's cool about that section is you get that, you know, that little lick that Tony's playing, but it's fattened up on the keyboard. So it's almost like a lead tone when he plays it in the intro and then like a, you know, like a lead guitar and then a rhythm guitar tone when he's doing it in the chorus. So it's not, you know, coming on top, but it's filling it out. So I think that sounds really cool. I thought it was cool too, uh, the drums, because uh, Phil had said, uh, he had tried a few different drum parts on Illegal Alien, but eventually he just kind of settled on 
um, you know, two and four on the snare, one and three on the bass, just like a standard. And and that's what worked best. And he says uh, he, he loved his drumming on, on this track. The, this and Mama were his two standouts on the on the record. Yeah, and you don't hear Phil Collins play a backbeat very often, a straight backbeat, which is more or less what this is, right? It, it, it is unusual. Yeah. But like you said, I mean, what else would you play here? It would just exactly, get busy yeah. and you'd, it, would be, it would be the wrong thing, so. But you know, it, it lets the keyboards kind of shine a little bit too, because that's such a great key little riff there. That it's just great. Oh, I love so it. So it's a happy song, right? Like, how do you not? How does this song not make you smile? Come on. It, one of my favorite parts is this next line. I, I didn't have this written down, but I, I just got to hear how Phil delivers this next line. Down at the office, had to fill out the forms. It's great too because it's a big. It's just a big slap on bureaucracy, right? Yeah, you know, up to the counter to see what they think. They said it doesn't count, man. It ain't written in ink. So it's like, oh come on, for fuck, really? <laughs> I just love that. So it's got that very busy street feel, and you just think how many overdubs there are. You know, I mean, Phil Collins is probably about sixteen different voices doing there, and Tony and Mark will be having some stuff in it. That's that um, emu emulator keyboard that Tony had. That all the car noises at the beginning, all the tire screech, and all that kind of stuff. That's all that keyboard, all that synth. And so the same thing here, we're getting a lot of those sound effects coming in on top of those, you know, multi-tracked um, spoken parts. And I thought I read somewhere that was Phil playing trumpet on the mariachi bit there. Did you read really? that? I yeah. did not. I didn't. Oh. I don't know if that's true. I, yeah, that's surprising because I thought that on the liner notes, I thought that um, it was just, yeah, it only has him down as lead vocals and drums and percussion. Drums, yeah. Because I, I just always thought that was Tony. I was pretty sure that Could was Could be an urban Tony legend. Around. It sounds like it, but I read that. And I was kind of taken aback. Like, I didn't even, A, know Phil could play the trumpet. And, and B, like when Tony can double that on the keyboard yeah. easy enough, why bother playing the trumpet? But again, mariachi, is. tequila accent, you're still not getting Mexican, <laughs> Kevin, really? Well, I'm getting Mexican. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm trying to just write, Corey. Okay, I got a sister, and I don't think she would do anything to help me do anything. Like, much less, like, really, like he's got a really loyal sister. Well, and is that one of the problematic lyrics, Corey? Is that being sort of exploitative yes. of women? Because that was the one, the only, the only the one that was like, you know, okay, because the, the two lines in the song that I think are, you've got to sort of call out, or over the border lies the promised land, where everything comes easy, you just hold out your hand, which is that myth that immigrants don't work, or, you know, illegal yeah. immigrants don't work. And then I've got a sister who's willing to be willing to oblige. Again, it's sort of a bit of a, a bit of a lazy stereotype. But again, I think it's more, it's more that slapstick parody of it. I, I don't think they mean it in that way. I really don't get that in this song at all. I, I, I agree with you on that one. On, on that first one, the, you'll just hold out your hand. That's a little tougher to defend, yeah. I think. But yeah, this is more uh, tongue planted firmly in cheek. Because I think that second line, or, you know, everything comes easy, you just hold out your hand. If you were writing this song from the standpoint of someone who's a racist, 
right? Then that makes sense because that's their voice. They're saying it. That's the problem when you write this line and it's spoken from a first-person point of view of the immigrant themselves. Then that's where it becomes, I think, a little bit more problematic for sure. To help me get to the outside. So they've got that blend, right? So again, yeah, and it, it's funny because I'm, I'm kind of curious whether that's a real kick or a synth kick because it's pretty flat. Definitely a real snare, definitely real hats. But then the toms again, I think are probably a Simmons. So I, that's where <laughs> they get that blend and the sort of that introducing the electronic kit. I think dead right in this song. Yep. No, and uh, I wouldn't be shocked if it was a, a synthetic kick because I, I kind of had that, that that same thought you did too. The the toms definitely. But definitely a real snare, yeah. but it reminds me of the the little shitty kick uh, kit he was playing on the Invisible Touch video. Yeah, you know, I I could <laughs> play and playing this on that maybe. So that sounds spliced to me. I don't think that that's a straight pass. I don't think that's a take. I think that's. I, I wonder if. That, that little that little sort of uh, musical interlude piece, I wonder if they extended that. And then they thought, well, actually, we don't need that 30 seconds. Let's cut that back and we'll, we'll punch it in there. Because it just sounds just that wee bit, just that wee little bit of a jerk in there that you sometimes get in not quite, you know. Well, when you're cutting on tape and you can't make it perfect like you can in yeah, Pro Tools. It, there's just something about it that feels a bit forced to me. And it's just that one tiny little thing. You know, it wouldn't shock me at all either because this song is 516. Yeah. before that potential section was removed, right? So if you're doing a little pop song, you don't want it, radio won't play it if it's over five minutes, right? So and it was 4.33 was the radio edit, right? That's the other thing. They yeah. did cut some out of this song, the radio edit song. Right, right. Oh, I love that so section so much. <laughs> It's kind of the thing that, you know, the song is fun and bouncy today, but it's been fairly steady. There's not been a big change. You get that bit in the middle, the, sort of the instrumental bit in the middle, but there's not been a big sort of Genesis change. Well, you get a big Genesis change, but it doesn't sound like Genesis because they've never done this before where they drop everything out apart from the drums and the, and the vocals, which is an, yep. it's an old songwriting trick. Lots of people have done it, but Genesis have never done it. And God, what a time to pull that out. You know, it's so perfect. Perfect. And, and the background vocals, perfect. And I, I even love Phil. It's a no much fun. Being yeah. Illegal, like just, it's also it, it cool. Just, and in the rest of this, like for the next, I don't know, like 16 bars or whatever, he's not punching the syllables where you think he's going to. Like he starts coming off beat and getting him. And it's just like, it's like, I, I, again, we've talked about Phil Collins' evolution as a singer. This is where he's reached. He's, he's sort of like, I know I'm confident. Now I know what I'm doing. Now I'm just going to start having fun and showboating. Yeah. Could not agree more. Uh, did you have any more on this one, Kev, or should we vote on it? Should we rank it? What we should do is just listen to a little bit of the outro, like, like the last maybe 15 seconds, because listen to some of the work Mike Rutherford's doing on the bass in this section. Okay. Beautiful. Okay. Oh, that's right. That's what he says at the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the way we do this, folks, is uh, we, we rank this, like I said, on music, lyrics, and production for 10 points, 10 points, and 5 points. 
Corey, what did you think of Illegal Alien? Dare I ask? Look, music, I gave it a nine. Like, I love this tune. It's so light and bouncy and happy. Uh, you called out Mike on, on that uh, outro there. It sounds like he's just doing like, I don't know, like 16ths or something. But yeah. then he would do like a change and he would totally play a little melody in there. Great stuff. Uh, Tony, I thought was fantastic on the keys here. Really, really stood out. And I, I love just the simple drum pattern. I thought it was great. Solid, solid nine musically. Uh, lyrically, I copped out and I gave it a five. So <laughs> five, f- because well, you can't get by some of the really kind of racist stuff, right? You got to okay. dock it for that. But the stuff that I, I can clearly tell is satire, I appreciate because I like a good satire and, you know, you're you're supposed to be able to stretch the boundaries a little bit. So yeah. th- it's a bit of a cop out, uh, giving it right down the middle at five out of 10. Uh, but but I'm okay because, you, you know, you, you can look at it through a certain lens and be like, this is, what what did Blender call it? The 13th worst song of all time. What? And like, there, yeah, so many uh, uh, magazines oh and stuff call this out as just being a steaming piece of shit. And it's like, you can't look at it through that lens. Like, you know, you know, their intention, I think, has to factor in a little bit too. And they're writing about, you know, visas and they're writing about, yeah. you know, you're supposed to be sympathetic towards this character, but a little bit of comedy in there. And, and that's okay. So I gave it a five. Uh, for lyrics and then uh, production wise I gave it a solid four because um, really nothing not to like about it like I said uh, that synthetic kick uh, kind of turned me off a bit you know if you want to go roto toms or whatever like I'm, I'm kind of cool with that but you know you, you got to keep more semblance of a real drum kit I, th- I think to kind of keep me so uh, nine five and four is where I landed on illegal alien I'm still never skipping it if it comes up on, on my shuffle though I love that song uh, how about you Kev well, I mean, mostly close. So I went nine on music as well. Like, I, I love all the little whoops and bloops and stuff in the background. It just gives it so much character. You know, it's packed with fun little bits of keyboard. Like you said, the drum beat in this is great because it doesn't need to be busy. It doesn't need all these big in-the-air tonight fills. just sounds great. Production-wise, I think it sounds fantastic. Like, sonically, it's just beautiful. I think it, I think it's, again, a, a couple of very small quibbles is that one transition, I think, sounds just a wee bit off. And then I think this song could actually be a little bit shorter. You know what I mean? It's, it's funny because we've talked about this lots on the podcast. If you've been listening, folks, I like a 12-minute song. But I like a 12-minute song because it's a prog rock song and it's a 12-minute epic. This one, I think you could trim off a little bit. And I think that that's where the single edit does have just that little bit more punch. Now, on to the lyrics. This, to me, is their, like, I don't know, it, it's kind of their, their kink song. It's telling a story, right? It's lazy, lazy on a Sunday afternoon or it's, or it's dedicated follow of fashion. And it's playful and it's funny and intentionally being silly. And I think those couple of missteps, I, I think I can forgive them a little bit more maybe than you. Maybe I'll get hauled over the coals. Maybe I'll get cancelled on this score. Who knows? Maybe this is the <laughs> one that kills me. But I went eight because I just, there's so much fun. There's so many great lines in this. You know, I got a cousin and she got a friend who thought that her aunt knew a man who could help. So that, I love that friend of a friend because everyone knows a friend who knows a guy who's got a guy who yeah. doesn't, you know. And I just love the way that sort of that, that bounces. And it's no fun being an illegal alien. It's just fun to sing, man. I like it. So yeah, 9, 8, and 4.5. So we were pretty close apart from one area. So Pretty close, yeah. It's just uh, a couple of the missteps. I, I think I, I graded a little harshly than you did. But then you get great lines like, dead out the office, had to fill out the forms. A pink one, a red one, the colors you choose. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> Still, I thought a pretty great way to kick off side B uh, of Genesis, uh, even with its flaws, a good, happy, fun, bouncy tune. Uh, we're not taking it uh, too bouncy into song number two, though, on side B. Uh, this is called Taking It All Too Hard. Mm-hmm. 
to get that beautiful Yamaha CP70 acoustic, uh, or sorry, electric. Well, it's kind of an electric acoustic piano. So it's a, it's almost like a compact grand with pickups on it, and it gives you that very specific sound. And I get, like I didn't realize until we started doing the research this. I, either I forgot or I didn't know that this was released as a single in the US. It was the fifth single released off the album. Of course, only three had major distribution, but this one was released in the US, which it I think it stalled out at number fifty on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, but it did get to number 11 on the adult contemporary, so, you know. And uh, uh, kind of, a, you, you expect to walk in a piano bar and hearing a track like this, right? Like yeah. a guy at a piano just lamenting about taking it all too hard. It, to me, uh, Tony, again, 100% standout, and Phil's vocal is really fantastic all the way through this thing. So that's a great transition, I thought, from, you know, that's almost the chorus leading off the song again, right? And then we're kind of yep. going into that first verse. Uh, I thought that transition, nice and clean, uh, just really kind of lovely. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, what I'd, one of the things I'd written down, I think you sort of, you could almost be forgiven for thinking this was a holdover from face value in some ways. It just, you know, the, the, the piano, the, or the synth, the piano, electronic piano tones, the, the synth tones there. The melody, the way Phil's singing, it kind of feels like face value. Of course, it's definitely not, but that's what I always kind of think of with this is it's almost like a, a leftover, almost. See, and uh, to me, comparing it to, to Phil's stuff, I, I think of a song like One More Night and how simplistic that is. This has a lot more going on to it than One More Night does. Oh, go ahead. I, I, haven't listened, I haven't listened to Face Value in a while, so I'm not sure which uh, track you're uh, you know, really uh, uh, considering it there. But um, to me, this is a little bit more, it's more Genesis-y. Than, than Phil Collins, uh, to me, just uh, in the complexity of the melody, maybe. and Yeah. Uh, lyrically, though, it's very Mike Rutherford, I think, in that it's pretty repetitive. Well, it's, it's one of Mike's love songs, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they, they tend to be a bit repetitive. Yeah. They tend to be a bit samey, yeah. Yeah. So that just feels, that turnaround back into the verse there, or into the chorus, just feels a bit, it feels a bit hurried. And I wonder, Genesis getting in their own heads about some of that stuff, where we're, we're trying to really write small, short, little pop songs to the point where you're starting to trim off, where I think at that point, you've done that little sort of key change where you, where you brought it in. We've gone that like weird minor key thing, but then it comes out of it really, really quickly. And I find that just a little, the pacing of that's just, just a wee bit off. And I, I was, another thing I'd written down, Corey, and I don't know what you thought about this, but I bet there's a lot of, of this track on the cutting room floor. I bet you a lot of this stuff got taken out, because I think this was, I think there's lots of this song where you think that's a section that they've taken. What was the song of Abacab that we, we covered that they said, like, they basically, I can't remember what it was now, where they said they, they just chose the best sections of it and put those sort of sequence those in. I can't remember what that was, but I get sometimes a sense of that with this song. Um, and it's one of the few that I actually think it could be interesting to hear what this song might have been if it was in the Wind and Wuthering era, because I think that that's where they would have, this would have been longer, and I think it would have changed more. I don't know. See, I think, I, I think I, you're going to disagree with me. 
I, I, I am actually. It kind of yeah. felt like they're stretching it, I think, in, in, in sections to get this thing to like four minutes. Like there, there's not a lot to it. You have like three kind of distinct sections about it yeah. that they just kind of re- repeat again. But um, I, I don't think it's rushed at all. I don't know. It kind of worked for me. It's like I'm, okay. uh, it's like I'm watching Oppenheimer and those three hours just kind of fly right by. I don't even notice that I'm sitting in an uncomfortable IMAX seat for three hours. It's like, well, holy cow, it's three hours. <laughs> kind of the same here. I, I didn't feel its length and I, it didn't feel truncated or anything to me. Uh, okay. Flow wise, I, I thought for me personally, it, it worked really, really well. Well, maybe you didn't feel it sent because there's not much girth to this song. You know, I mean, if it's... There's not a lot of girth, no. So, you know. You know what I think I like that bit? It's because it reminds me of Dance on a Volcano. It reminds me of Holy Mother of God. There's just something about the phrasing and the way he sings it where it just throws me back to that era. And like I said, that's where I think sometimes my brain tricks me and thinks that this is actually from an earlier album, which is, you know. No, I could definitely see that. Dance on the Volcano makes sense to me. It just feels very Genesis-y to me, and it's very much a Genesis love song. Uh, definitely a little more to it than, than a Phil uh, love song. If we ever do a Phil solo, and we talk about uh, No Jacket Required, uh, one more night is a song I get very sick of very quickly because it's just the same fucking thing over and over and over again. I'm a I'm a little more forgiving to this one though, just because it's got those few different uh, yeah. uh, melody changes and stuff that I find uh, really quite nice. Uh, I I had no more timestamps on this one because the rest of the song is just kind of the same. So yeah, no, and I'd said that this song is basically over at three minutes, really, and I think it's another one that you could have the fade the fade out could have ended at. 335, 330, something around there on this one, because it's how long? 359, uh, is it? 359, yeah. So you could definitely, again, you could tighten this one up, and this is where I think they're still finding that balance of how to write pop songs. I mean, this is definitely that very deliberate move into this, right? Because there's not really a prog rock epic on this album. I mean, Home by the Sea, you could you can argue that one, but it's still it's more poppy than, than it is prog. Right. Um, so they're definitely making that conscious decision, but they've not quite got that balance, I don't think. How did you rate this one, Corey? Well, this one, actually, I was really nice to it. I really kind of dig this song. When I first picked up this cassette tape, uh, basically for Illegal Alien and, and Mama, and listening to the rest of it, I'm like, well, you know, this is quite lovely. I've always had a, a real soft spot for taking it all too hard. Musically, I gave it a nine. I, I thought the band is great. I, I wish they had done this song live. They never did, and I don't understand why. You could have just had, like, Tony you know, at, at a piano and, uh, you know, Phil kind of, you know, being a torch singer, right. And, and just kind of playing that character, singing this track, I thought would work really well. Uh, lyrically seven and a half, uh, gets pretty repetitive. Uh, but I, I, I am kind of a softie for Mike Rutherford pen lyrics. All days are gone and they're better left alone. I cannot help you. It's much too late. Like he's, uh, it, it's not quite as dire as when Phil writes a sad song, like, Oh my God, my wife left me and I'm going <laughs> to blow my head off and shit like that. <laughs> And uh, production-wise, I gave it a four, just because it, it could have been shortened up by about 40 seconds, I think, pretty easy. But uh, to me, th- this is quintessential Genesis, uh, sad, ballady-type song. So, yeah, I was really nice and gave it a nine, seven and a half, and four. Kevin, I'm guessing you're lower. I've dragged this one down, and I, f- I feel like I'm. you're going to think I'm slamming this song, which I'm not, because I would never skip it. I like it well enough. Um, but musically, it's sort of, well, look at how many times we stopped it. There's very little to talk about in this song where mm. even some of, you know, Follow You, Follow Me, Madman Moon, some of these other songs that are quite plaintive and quite slow, we found lots to talk about because there were interesting elements in it. This one's just a bit same old, same old, same old, right? 
Um, yep. Back again, there's nothing objectionable about it, but it's, the other thing I'd written down is it's one of those rare things in the Genesis catalog. There's no hook in this song. There's nothing that you go, oh, that riff or that little lick, or there's nothing really there other than I think it's kind of nice how Phil sings, no, not this confused again, not the same mistakes again. So you're kind of hanging everything on that vocal line. Lyrically, again, I, I, there's nothing much memorable about it. I, I don't think it's a great lyric. Is it a bad one? No. Would I be happy shit taking the royalties from writing this song? You bloody well better believe I would. <laughs> but to me, I think they just did so, so much better, and including on this album. Um, don't love the drum sound on this one. It's quite thin. It's a bit muddy at the bottom end. I'd written down soupy and thick. So I just think it's a bit, I don't know, it just misses on the production side. So just a wee bit boring. So I'm at five, five and two. Ooh, wow. Which isn't, I mean, like it's just a tiny smidge below average because of the production. So I'm not lambasting in this song. I just don't love this song. And I think is the other thing I'd, I'd say, Corey, maybe you can comment on this is, I think where it suffers for me is you come off the back of five absolute bangers and five really, really hooky, memorable songs and then you get to this and it's just such a change of pace it's like well where's the where's the thing and the stuff there's no things or stuff in it see i enjoy the change of pace you, you can't come off illegal alien and go into home by the sea like you, you think about sequencing what do you put after illegal alien to me this works great and i think it is hooky because i think the course is hooky that's great too though that i love the already you've sort of i, I think a little bit you've shifted in terms of because but you know and on the early albums a lot of that sort of change of directions and all the, the massive key changes you weren't always a fan of mm. maybe it's because they took four or five minutes in a section but maybe it was just the length but but I'm, I, I love that that's your the one of the things that you like about this song it's just it just doesn't quite land for me right so well uh, for me it kind of musically has to make sense and sometimes when genesis goes on a swerve on the yeah. earlier records it didn't musically make sense to me it's like if you're melodically trying to tell me a story or have a fo- a, a follow through a line through all the way through it's got to kind of follow a certain a certain wave to it whereas some stuff in in the first couple albums we covered here just out of left field hey now we're doing a yeah. reggae song now we're doing a fucking thrash metal song whatever they want to do <laughs> and they make it work because they're great musicians but uh it totally in a song it kind of throws me out of the experience whereas this the few different changes made perfect sense in, in terms of i can imagine myself in a piano bar and, and there's phil collins with his bad toupee on uh, singing <laughs> taking it all too hard and mike's got a stand-up bass and tony's on a piano and it, and it works for me in that setting, right? Hey, you know what? Maybe in, maybe in that configuration, maybe it's an arrangement thing. Maybe it's an instrument choice thing. Maybe that would work for me. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Maybe you've, you've sort of, uh, maybe. You know, you get him on a baby grand and, and get Tony or get uh, Mike on a stand-up bass and get Chester just playing, you know, with some brushes or something. Yeah. Just slightly on a, on a pared-down kit in the back. Maybe just a snare and a kick in one cymbal, right? With the brushes. See, this, this is why everyone buys Ford motor cars. Everyone knows the shit, but the, the salesmen, they come out and they lay the grease on and they, <laughs> they get swayed. You're, you're, you're swaying me here, Corey. You're, you're swinging me around. I don't know. Yeah, I'm swaying on, on a version of a song that doesn't exist, unfortunately, because <laughs> they, they never did play it like that. They never played. They don't even talk about this one. Like, you're trying to research it. I can't find anything on this damn track. Well, it was, like, I did find the, oh, no, sorry, it's the next song. I was going to say it was played in soundcheck, but it wasn't. Yeah, never, never played. Right. And especially you would think, as a single, especially when you're doing 65 of 70 dates on a tour in the U.S. Oh, yeah, I was a little curious. Yeah, curious why they didn't do it. And the U.S. audiences, I think, would eat this song up. Like, it, it kind of felt like a, a hit. The, this is going to hit top 40, I think, back in the yeah. day. All right, let's check out song number three on side B of Genesis, or Shapes, if you will. Uh-huh. Uh, this is called Just a Job to Do. Thank you. 
All right, th- th- this is the point in the show where I get to say, fuck you, Tony Banks, because he hates the song. And th- th- this is maybe, maybe my favorite Genesis deep cut. I love this song. <laughs> that is such a funky, great kicking melody there. Like, oh, just yeah. happy. Can, just I, happy. can I write down? Uh, okay, so sorry. I'll tell you the second line I wrote when I was making my notes for this. Okay. I wrote down maybe one of the absolute best Genesis <laughs> deep cuts because it is. And it's one of those it songs, that if you're not a Genesis fan, you don't know this song. And it's one of those you go, listen to this. If you think Genesis <sighs> sucks and you think 80s Genesis sucks, listen to this song. This feels like it could have been a big hit in 1983, oh, doesn't it? God. Like, why didn't they Absolutely. release this? I mean, everything about it. And you've got a guitar. You've got yeah. Tony sitting back in the pocket. You've got this. Gr- and again, I think the other thing that punches through after that last track and after quite a lot of this album so far is you get Phil playing 100% real kit. Yep. Right, apart from those bang, 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 when he play, he's got this, some kind of synth thing. There, oh, yeah. But yep. You've got this great, you know, you've got the, the hi-hat things that he's doing. You've got those shakers playing triplets over the hats. It just sounds phenomenal. And a perfect song to put right after taking it all too hard. Yeah. Like to definitely. come out of that song into this is perfect. How cool is that, man? Oh, I love it. <laughs> that vocal, dude, like, seriously, we, I mean, again, we're talking lots of, we, you know, the first three albums we talked mainly about Phil's drumming, for sure, and actually sort of, not we didn't criticize maybe, but we sort of wanted more from Phil vocally. You get to Abacab and this album, and it's, it's the Phil Collins show at this point. And I think that's the mm-hmm. thing that Mike and, you know, give Mike and Tony their dues. They recognize that they had this secret weapon in the arsenal that they hadn't been unleashing, Let's get this out front and center because this is just as important as the drums or my keyboard parts. So. Uh, my next time was uh, a minute eight getting into the chorus. Did you have anything before that? Uh, yeah, I had like a, at a minute. So wherever we want to go there, that's yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll play right at a minute. Then. Yeah. Because, yeah, we got, we got a couple of great lines leading into the chorus. Fuck you, Tony Banks. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> this is we're gonna hashtag fuck Tony Banks is gonna be a thing on our on our tri- Twitter thing. I think if you take over, Corey. Uh, yeah, Tony's like, yeah, yeah. I don't really care for that song at all. I hate side B of Genesis. Fuck off. But he loves Silver Rainbow because he wrote the lyrics. Well, obviously, yeah. <laughs> Shocking when we get to my numbers on Silver Rainbow, but <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the I mean, so again, so many cool things in this. It's a, it's a song, too, that you you don't really see coming on this record. Because Mama has got this big, you know, this big atmospheric thing. It's got the big toms and everything. That's all a very specific, you know, built built for radio kind of sound. Home by the Seas, again, this big atmospheric thing. It's quite dark. And then we open up with Illegal Aliens, Bouncy. You know, and then we get to this. And it's like, where did this funk shit come from? Yeah. Why have we been holding <laughs> this back? This is amazing. And so that big, made, again, that major key change to punch into the lyric... And there's a little bit of guitar. It's almost like Starskin's Hutch kind of funk guitar, right? It just sounds yeah. like, holy shit, we should have had more of this on this album. Top 10 hit. This should have been a top 10 hit had they mm-hmm. released it, right? Like, I think audiences would eat this thing up. I found the exact quote from Tony Banks. 
quote, I don't think just a job to do is very good. Fuck Ugh. you. Piece of shit. <laughs> and that's the difference i think you can tell that that's one take that's one pass on the drums uh, uh, definitely on the drums on everything it sounds like it's been played continuous it's not been punched in and it sounds phenomenal like that's a great change and, and did the bass and guitar kind of drop out there? I thought it was just like drums and keys uh, on that transition. Yeah, just like a little system. Which made it just so so much cleaner when you yeah. do it that way, right? Oh, God, that was great. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give this two, two, and two just to let you know. All right, Kevin Brown, you're a hi-hat aficionado. Does it get any better than that? Like, it doesn't. The guy's <laughs> got so much feel, hey? I mean, it, again, you know, for people who don't know that Phil Collins is a kick-ass drummer, I just always feel sad for them because you're missing out on so much. This guy was a real technician. What, what's cool in this section with, that we were just listening to there is you get Phil switches again. You've got this hi-hats, but he's also playing that little sort of, it's kind of like a half-time shuffle. Not quite, but it's almost got that bit of a swing to it and like you said the piano and the and the bass lead especially i mean mike rutherford's bass playing on this song we will talk about because holy christ uh, again <laughs> outstanding vocals from phil too adding then there's adding then that second melody line keep running keep running so that they're building that layer not just not on tony banks's synths, which is what they always used to do which is the mistake they made on those early albums i think sometimes let phil do it let, let the vocals carry it here Now, that was a very much a Phil Collins transition. Oh, my God. It sounded like something happened on the way to heaven. <laughs> or something happened on the way to heaven sounds like this, maybe. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is, it's so natural. And like I said, that's where I think, that's why this doesn't feel assembled. It's not assembled from parts. This is definitely sort of, okay, we've, we've got this structure. We know where the changes are. Let's just, let's just rip through this and play this in four and a half minutes or four, whatever, whatever length the song is. Let's just play it. And yeah. it feels natural. It feels like a band playing live. You know, it almost has a bit of a, a Billy "Don't Lose My Number" vibe. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, but I I, I broke down uh, Phil's uh, best vocal performance uh, since Mama. Like uh, th those are the two I think really uh, he he's killing it on this one, especially on the chorus, right? Yeah, I mean th this whole album though he's again this yeah. is peak 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 Phil Collins, and he had a spell where he's he's going to be in peak Phil Collins for a decade here, but this is definitely to me kind of the start of it. So. So there's an old adage that if you want to know what key a song is in, listen to the last chord. Because usually a song resolves back down to the root chord, right? But this one doesn't. It hangs on that, whatever it is, it's the, the fourth or the, the fifth or whatever. And it fits perfectly with the, the, the theme of the song, right? Because this, you know, this is an assassin, because we haven't talked really about the lyrics, which are great in this song. It's an assassin <laughs> tracking his mark and sort of, you know, this inner, this, to me, it's always the, in, the inner monologue in the assassin's head. You know, keep running, keep running, city, city. I'm, I'm going to find you. It doesn't matter where you go. And I think that that sort of when you when you hang and you don't resolve down to the root, it gives that song 
it, it leaves it open rather than finishing it. And so that you get that sense that this pursuit is going to go on after this song is finished. Like this isn't done yet. Right. So I just love that element. So that's really clever. I can't believe we haven't talked about the lyrics yet. Cause yeah, yeah. he's talking about, you know, his prey. Yeah. Keep running city to city. Even if you're innocent, you can cause too much embarrassment. And though your heart is breaking and you know, there's no mistaking for you feel your lifeline breaking can feel your hands are shaking. No answers. Like it's, it's very tense. He yeah. tells such a great story of this. It's so fucking cool. It's like an action movie. It is. It's like, a, you know, like a, yeah. like, you know, what's that stupid, I was thinking of a stupid uh, Stallone movie. Oh my God. What's the name of that? The awful. Oh God, you got to be more specific. Cobra. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm not, I'm not talking about the movie because it was shit, but the, th- the tone of that movie is dark and it's menacing. It's foreboding. And you know, it's one of those, and this is Mike Rutherford, which you would yeah. never guess if you didn't know. <laughs> It's it's John Wick, right? They just killed his dog, and now I got a name, and I got a number, and I got a line on you, motherfucker. Oh no, I think I, I might I might ruin our friendship here, Corey. I, I still haven't seen John Wick. Oh my god, what the hell, I man? Others. I know, what I the know. Hell? I've just got a mental block on Keanu Reeves. I just I just can't get past you know Bill and Ted's. That's all I see when I see Keanu Reeves stuff. Well, he is so far from Bill and Ted and John <laughs> yeah, Wick, let me tell you. But we got a job to do, Kevin, and that's rate this song. What did you give? Just a job to do. Ten, ten, four point five. <laughs> I'm gonna justify it right now. Okay, again, musically, this is everything I want in a Genesis song. It's loose, it's groovy, it's got some interesting parts in it, it's got some synth in it, but it's not overbearing. And I mean, when I say a Genesis song in this era of Genesis, everything about this works musically for me. It's guitar driven, which again you don't get much of in the in the Genesis catalog. Bill's voice is phenomenal, like you said. I love that music guitar lick that Mike's playing. Everything about this one, L- lyrically, yeah, it's about an assassin stalking a target. It might be, like I said, one of my top three or four Mark Rutherford lyrics, I think. You know, the footsteps close behind. You know, or you know there's no mistake in the footsteps close behind and that all keep running. It's just so cool. And production-wise, that little descending run from Tony out of the verse is the only thing that I think knocks this song a bit. Did it, did it, did it. Just because that synth tone sounds very early 80s. And I wondered, as I was thinking about this in my, in my headspace, I wonder if you played that on a sort of a, a bit of an overdriven guitar. I wonder if that would sound cool. Just playing it. Like have a little guitar in there or something. It would sound, I think it'd sound fresh and cool. But again, I mean, superbly arranged. All the parts and all the transitions are balanced perfectly. So yeah, 10, 10 and 4.5. How about you, Corey? Are you going to let me down? Are you going to disappoint me? You're a motherfucker. <laughs> 10, 10 and 4.5 is what I give just a job to do. <laughs> no way. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the first time we've been dead on the money? I don't know. It's first time in a while, anyway. It might. Like, nice. we're ten, ten, five on Mama, so. Of course, yeah. Yeah. It's been uh, a few and far I, between them. Yeah. My favorite uh, album cut from Genesis? Probably. Uh, I certainly can't think of a better one now. Uh, oh, lyrically, uh, we, we talked about, uh, heard a bang, 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 down you go, no one really yeah. cares, because the harder you run, the harder you fall, and I'm coming down hard on you, like, Mike Rutherford. Fan fucking test. Yeah. Musically perfect, lyrically perfect, production 4.5. And I don't even know why I docked it half a point. Maybe just because it's not Mama. Maybe, but yeah. Love this song. Could have been a big hit, I think, for Genesis and definitely a forgotten gem. Sound checked once along with uh, second Home by the Sea. Not even first Home yeah. by the Sea. Sound checked with second Home by the Sea for fuck's sakes. What the hell are you doing, guys? Break out <laughs> just a job to do. I wish they were still touring just so I could yell it, you know, from my seat. Play just a job to do, you have that job to do. <laughs> Isn't it? But I mean, it is really, you know, there are some songs, like you said, I mean, we were just talking about um, taking it all too hard. I can see why they don't necessarily do that online because they've got a lot of songs that sound like that. They don't yeah. have a song that sounds like just a job to do. This no. is a unique song and my God, it would be fun to play live. 
Oh, it'd be a blast. I, I think maybe I docked the 4.5 for the same reason you did on that kind of like a synthy horn section there, right? Yeah. If you played get like electric guitar over that, fits the mood of the song a lot better, I think. A little harder edge. It's a song about an assassin. Give us some electric guitar for right now. <laughs> Very minor quibbles about just the job to do. Let's move on now to the next song on side B of Genesis. This is called Silver Rainbow. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> I'd literally... So, folks, when when Corey hits play, I take a drink. And he cut it out to three seconds, and I wasn't ready for that, so... I almost choked on my gin and tonic, you idiot. Sorry, sorry. I'll keep going. There's a certain element of that intro that's always reminded me a little bit, and it really is only a little bit, of uh, San Jacinto from, by Peter Gabriel, and it, which was released on the album the year before this was, this, this album the year before this came out. It's a similar thing where there's lots of sort of industrial, synthy, you know, percussive sort of noises, for want of a better word, and it's got sort of a, quite a low vocal on it, and that's it's just always reminded me a little bit of that stuff. Was that a, a good song? Tanya Sinter. I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I don't remember that one. Well, once we do Philip Peter Gabriel's catalog, you'll, I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll be writing that one. Sorry, I accidentally hit the, the space bar. I didn't mean to, but... That's all good. Uh, uh, to me, the song doesn't start until 34 seconds in. You mind if I shuttle forward? Mm-hmm. An unusual beat, because you got yes. the snare. Well, and it's again, it's a big, heavy snare sound, but it's on the ones and threes, which usually on a backbeat. And we talked about an illegal alien. Your snare is on the two and four. Well, here it's pushing on the one and three, which is it is weird, and it's it's. I'm not gonna say unsettling is not quite the right word, but it throws you a little bit at first because it's not where you're expecting the snare to be. And so at first, you know, sometimes when a song doesn't start on the one, and you think, oh, I've just got to wait till it catches up. It's like, oh, oh no, no, that is the one. They're just playing the snare on the one, so that's weird. Weird is a good word. And speaking of weird, let's hear from Tony, uh, who said, and I quote, Silver Rainbow is a real favorite of mine. Phil started playing this kind of Adam and the Ants kind of drum thing with the cymbals, just banging his way through it. I started playing this piano riff on top of it, and I thought it was a really strong song, and I hoped it would go a little further than it did, actually, but it wasn't sort of recognized. Maybe because it's shite, Tony, that's why. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> There, you wanted the Tony Banks voice back. Was that pretentious enough? Yeah, you, you didn't pull it out last week. I'm so glad he's back. No, yeah, because well, he busted <laughs> out this fucking thing. I did. I did want to ask you, Corey, because I don't know if they made it over here. Do you know who Adam and the Ants are? A little bit. I know uh, Goody Two Shoes was, okay. was a big hit over here. And okay, the, the, I think that first record, uh, especially, I, I know him from the, like that record and from uh, Live Aid. Were the okay. really the two ways I know Adam and the Ants. Okay, cool. Because I mean, I you know talk about it, it was inspired by it sounds like it sounded anything like adam and the ants i mean this i didn't think so i was gonna ask no, you like as being a, a brit like you probably know more adam and the ants than i do D is this adam and the ants because it doesn't sound like nah. it sounds like pretentious genesis well adam and the ants is more sort of almost sort of rockabilly like pop punk rockabilly a, kind of a weird mix of some of those elements where and then sort of baroque as well so it's not i mean it doesn't sound anything like this Fresh water. 
throw a movie title at you and see what you think. The never-ending story. Yeah. That little progression on the keyboard, it's like, oh, I just, oh, it reminds me of the never-ending story, which I love as a movie. Fucking love as a movie, and I really like as a song. But it's just weird getting that... It just seems... That little lick that he plays there seems completely out of place in this to me. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, lyrically, uh, kind of confused, too, is, is about... Uh... Uh, people being senseless in love, like, uh, you don't really get that feel musically from it? I mean, lyrically, it's, like I said, I mean, it took me, I'd sit and listen, okay, well, I, let me sit and actually think, see if I can figure out what the hell he's talking about here. And then the only thing I came up with is, you know, because he says, you know, beyond the silver rainbow, you won't know if you're coming or going, so it's that thing of, when you're really in love with the right person, you know, your, your, your mind becomes just soup, right? It just becomes cheese. But then you've got other bits that are sort of, uh, what do you mean, what's the silver rainbow? What do you mean, what is that? What's that a, a euphemism for? Or an analogy of, like, I don't get what he's talking about there. It's just a weird, yeah. oh, it's a common expression in our house. Well, yeah, but we don't all grew up in your house, Tony. Best part of the song, that. Yep. As far as I'm concerned. Could not agree more, yep. Yeah, really cool. Sings it great. It's a good line. You know, because we've all been there as young men, you're sort of hoping that something will happen, and maybe it will, maybe it won't. But again, just slightly incongruous. If, if the theme of the song is, you know, that head scramble when you're in love and you, you can't think straight. I, I don't know, man. It's just, it's a weird song lyrically. It is. And then we're going to get into a bear comes into the room. Oh, here we go. On. Yeah, this is, you know. This is peak Tony Banks, right? Let, let, well, let's, I mean, let's take the metaphor and shove it so far up your ass, <laughs> uh, you can see your tonsils. Let's, let's also comment that, you know, you, it, it only gets better when you rhyme bear with unaware. <laughs> oh, no. God. Should we, should we go to that part here? Let's do it. What? And you keep what on going because you you're unaware. About? Ooh, then you know that you are there. Beyond the silver rainbow. You know, you're there beyond the... And that's where I think is like, oh, what he's saying is that you're so distracted by love that you don't notice that there's a fucking bear in your house. You <laughs> idiot. <laughs> the bear's a metaphor for, <laughs> for the monarchy, oh. Kevin. Oh, maybe it's a... a, a the bear is... A, it's a metaphor for a fucking massive animal. I don't know. Giant boner. <laughs> and then the bear came in the room and you were unaware, but you fucking knew that you were there, bitch. Oh, good Lord. It's such a silly lyric. <laughs> it's dumb. It's such All a silly right. lyric. Ah, uh, Silver Rainbow. I guess I get to go first. Uh, I gave it a five for music. Musically, it's fine. Uh, yeah. It's, it, it doesn't fit lyrically the, the mood they're going for in the song. That pissed me off. Uh, lyrically, I gave it a five. Because uh, the bear didn't make any sense to me. Uh, but I, 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 only reason I didn't give it like a two or a three is because if you're sitting there beside her with your arms, you hold her so close, you wonder how far she'll let you go. That's such a relatable lyric. Yeah, that, that bumped it up into average territory for me. Uh, and then I gave it a three for production because 
I would have been fine if this song was two minutes long, not four minutes, 31 seconds. So five, five, and three were my grades on Silver Rainbow. Uh, probably Scott Haskins' favorite track on Genesis, I'm guessing. <laughs> Kevin Brown, is it your favorite track on Genesis? It is not my favorite track on Genesis. Um, I'd go so far as to say I think it's the weakest track on this album. Um, I like certain sections of it. Like you said, I think that one line's great, but it's just so uninspired. The whole yeah. song is just a bit of a... It feels like I've had these couple of ideas. Let's mash them together and see if it works. It doesn't really, but... Eh, fuck it, let's put it on there anyway, because we've only got nine songs. You know, the drums are cool. Like, I like that snare leading the kick, but they don't sound great. And it's that over-reliance on these electronic pads where I think they go a bit overboard at points on this album. Um, you know, I think if you, if you think about like the, the drums on Dodo, Lurker, or even on the last track, uh, Just a Job to Do, you put that drum sound on this, that changes the song, and it changes the dynamic completely. <laughs> There's no bridge in this song. There's no transition. There's no movement in it at all. So it's, again what this side suffers from a little bit is just a bit of over-repetitiveness. Um, yeah, lyrics, they're fine, but they don't blow anyone's mind. I think Phil does a lot of heavy lifting with them. You know, he, he, he kind of polishes a turd definitely here. Um, but I don't know, it's just a bit weak sauce for me. It's just like, I don't really care about this one. Production, again, I don't love the drums in this one. You can't really hear what Mike's playing because he's playing some really cool shit on that bottom end. But because of how heavy the bass is on the drums, it just washes that whole, you know, lower, lower frequency out. Um, the outro's too long, way too fucking long, because it just yeah. goes on and on and on. Beyond the Silver Rainbow, you won't know if you're coming to go, and Beyond the Silver Rainbow, you like ad nauseum. Just okay, let's wrap this up a little bit, boys. Um, so yeah, it's just it's too busy, but not in a in a good Genesis kind of way. So yeah, I went five, four, and two. So four and two. Uh, we're in agreement. Weakest song on the record, uh, I think by far, because we have one more track to go, uh, and it's a little song called "It's Going to Get Better." I'm sure you read about this, right, where this came from? Mm-hmm. So it's that, you know, sampling a, an orchestral piece and then patching different parts of that onto different keys on the keyboard and playing and see what happens. And, you know, Tony pressed just four keys, four, you know, consecutive keys, white keys, just see what happened. And that came out. I was like, okay, well, that's kind of cool. And it kind of sounds a little bit like a backmasked Sergeant Peppery kind of psychedelia. Absolutely, you know, it does, yeah. Thing, right, which yeah, good I like that. I'm a bit of a sucker for that kind of thing. So... I like the intro. I think it sounds pretty cool. I was going to say, Corey, I did like, too. On, on this tour, um, 18 songs on this tour were played on every date. So it was a huge, the Mama Tour was a huge, big production tour. They did play this 70 times. It was played every night on this tour. Um, you know, and the only, only 11 other songs were brought into the set list, including Who Done It 47 times for some Ugh. fucking reason. And what's <laughs> funny is they mostly, they'd more or less dropped almost all the Gabriel Ear stuff off the set list at this point, apart from, you know, medley, including Firth of Fifth and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's mainly the new sound Genesis with 10 of those 18 songs being from the last two albums and then three more from Wind and Wuthering and Duke. So I think that that's one of the reasons why this gets so much airplay is it's like, okay, let's very consciously move away from, you know, Supper's Ready and all, the, all these early tracks where Trespass and, and Foxtrot and Nursery Crime, let's not do Selling England tracks and all this kind of stuff. They've made that conscious decision because I don't know, and we'll get into it when we start talking about our, our breakdown of it, but I don't know this song. I don't think it made the, the, the set list on any other tour, right? It was done after this tour, I think. 
I, I believe it was. I think it was to appease Tony that they played this 70 times because he probably wanted Silver Rainbow. And the other two guys said, no, no, if we give you, it's going to get better. Will you drop Silver Rainbow? No, okay, I guess so. Yeah. I can play my this is a mod lyric. <laughs> I know, but it, it, musically, it's very Tony, right? <laughs> uh, let's see. It's going to get better 70 times. Let's see. I think it was only played in 83, 83 and 84. Yep, you are yeah, correct. You Just on that tours. <laughs> Were you surprised coming out of that intro that it kind of drops into this poppy kind of hook? Like, it is still kind of a darker poppy tone, but yeah, uh, I, I kind of thought it was going to go more into a Home by the Sea type uh, type direction. Well, and a synth bass as well, right? So you get a very different feel from a synth bass than you do from a, an actual bass guitar. But also huge, and you can't really hear it over, or I can't hear it over um, streaming right here, but there's a huge flange on that synth. Like, it swirls, and you got that kind of that sound. Like a fucking didgeridoo, I don't know what I'm doing there. Yeah. But, you know, you've, you've got a lot of elements there that definitely off that intro. Yeah, I'm not expecting this at all. I, I really dig the bass line, though. Like, it's even, a cool even bass if line. it is, yeah. It just sounds so much better on a real bass, man. Well, obviously. You yeah, know? but it, it, it was 1983, remember? Uh, th th this was all the rage. Look, uh, you know, electronic look, bass, electronic drums. Man, it, you know, you listen to my other, my Queen podcast, and we just did Kind of Magic, and, and Randy said the same thing about Kind of Magic. Don't yeah. tell me that that song wouldn't be better with John D. John D. Complain. Of bass. course it would. Of this course song would it be would. way better with Mike Rutherford playing a real bass on it. hundred percent. I don't understand how you be in a band with Mike Rutherford or John Deacon and don't have them play real bass on everything. Like it's or Roger Taylor and Phil Collins for that matter. Like get rid of the fucking drum I loops. Like don't understand. Right. All right. Uh, what's our next time on? Uh, it's going to get better. Is it going to get better? Let's find out. <laughs> What do you think, Corey? I, I thought I was listening to the Miami Vice soundtrack for a minute. Like it, <laughs> it, it's just so eighties. Like we we talked about yeah, that. You it know, it, it's so eighties. I'm listening to "You Belong in the City" by Glenn Frey or something. Well, and you know, even the, the reach out hands in the air. Well, would you want us to also wave them like we just don't care? <laughs> well, I mean, they say reach out hands in the air, don't care, just what they're saying. <laughs> so I don't know. It, it... Yeah, and it's, it's such a weird song, because we'll talk about the song structure at the end a little bit more, maybe, but I don't know where the verse or the chorus is in this song. Well, I do know where the chorus is, but it's not where you expect it to be. Yeah. Because it's right at the end, and but there's in the middle, you've got these weird, the, the both A sections or both B sections, there isn't, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a very, very odd song, this one. It is, but I, I got to tell you, I, I don't dislike it. Uh, to me, I, I love the, the atmosphere of it. It, it almost right. could have been third home by the sea. Like, it almost could have booked end Home by the Sea in a way, because it's got that kind of same chilling, uh, almost quality to it that I, I'm i kind of digging. You know what? I am going to throw those three songs on a little uh, EP-length playlist and see how that scans, because now you've said that, God damn it, you're, you're, you're making too much sense tonight, Corey. I don't know what you've been drinking, but that's just, that's just getting, I'm getting worried. I had a strawberry smoothie with a yogurt and protein powder, so well, I highly recommend. Strawberries can fuck right off. 
You know, it's soaking yogurt, but when you put it in a smoothie with strawberries, I don't mind it as much. So the only thing there is, I, you know, we get back to that sort of, it, it isn't back masks, it's this weird sample where it, it could be reversed, I guess, but I just want something else in there because it, it's only that. You know, I, I just put a little bit of Mike Rutherford in there, you know, the, the, the guitar from, um, from Home by the Sea, that tone, yeah. or, or, or some, just something in there just to move the song along a little bit, because this bit just feels like a bit of padding. It feels like a bit of, I don't really know what else to do here. We don't really have a bridge. So let's just reprise the intro, but carried on for a little bit longer. You know what I mean? Like, there's just something missing in this section for me. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's the, the parts we get in Home by the Sea and Second Home that you don't get here. So, you know, mood-wise, it definitely fits that, that sweet almost in a way for me, but it's yeah. definitely missing a bit that would elevate it to maybe uh, those heights. Again, nice major key lift. It's a good change into that major key for the for the chorus. Um, but again, it's sort of. I think that maybe it's the drums that are a bit of an issue for me. Is there's no punch. You could you could build here. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that you have to go full mama or full in the air tonight. But I think you could add a bit more because the the drums in this are again are a bit thin and they're very reserved. Where I think now you, now you've got to the point where the song again is basically over at this point right you've got this course now and we're going to end up fading out and we do have this, the best part of the song is yet to come in that fade out but to me there's just again it's something it's like, oh man there's the, the bones of a really good song here i just don't think you built it out quite enough i agree uh i do really like the chorus though i, I love the melody yeah, I, I thought you, you mentioned that the drums need a bit more punch i thought phil could use a little bit more punch uh, vocally too maybe yeah. I, I i like when he goes in the falsetto there but even just on the first two lines, if it's going to get better it starts with the feeling he maybe could have sold, you know, sold that a little bit more. But other than that, like I, I to me, the chorus kind of saves it. Like I was, yeah, you know, yes. in, in like in like five territory for a lot of it. But you know, th this kind of ending section here, uh, you know, it, it's kind of the opposite of uh, another record, whichever album uh, that finished off, where it got okay, progressively yeah. worse for me. Uh, <laughs> this one, it kind of progressively gets a little better for me as we go along. So. That's my favorite bit of this song. You know, and I know, and on that I know, on that second one, you don't get the chord you're expecting. You get this beautiful suspended chord. It's like, there's Genesis. That's yeah. what I want. That's the, that's the little thing I was looking for. That's the twist I was looking for. And I just wish and that there's, guitar piece would come in more often earlier on. You could have added that in. I, I know. Yeah. And then it's easily an eight and a half song, as opposed to where I put it. But even uh, punched up on its time for a change vocally, 
we got that Phil Collins punch on the vocal that I was yeah. I was kind of uh, missing in the rest of it. Oh, too much. Nice re- reprise of the, uh, the the cello notes there you got from that classical album. A nice, a nice last minute. You know, a good, like you said, the, when the chorus comes in, it's like, oh, oh, why didn't you do that at the end of the, what could have been the first verse, but you had that second bit. And then it's weird. And actually, I was, I'd was i written down that this is might be the proggiest song on this record, only because it's really a typical song structure. You, you don't have bridge, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, or verse, chorus, bridge, verse. It's just first sort of verse structure, different verse structure, first verse structure again, kind of sort of almost a lead into, but then a chorus. So it's, it's very odd, which is very proggy, and I like that element of it, but it just, again, it doesn't quite land when you've got that chorus throwing it earlier. It's proggy in construction, but it's very pop orientated in yeah. execution. Yeah. Uh, which is maybe why I probably liked it better than you did. Kevin, what were your uh, ranking or ratings for uh, It's Going to Get Better? Musically a six. Um, I think there's a couple of really cool sections, and I do like that slight R&B swing to it, you know, in, in that first section at least. But again, I, could, I just, just think this song was crying out for Mike Rutherford on guitar. I think it would have just, I think it really would have boosted it a, a couple of points for me, maybe. I don't think the drums are great. Like I said, I mean, I, I think a better balance of the real and electronic drums would have worked well on this song. They just sound a bit flat, you know? And I mean, this, uh, and on this album, we have had some phenomenal drum sounds. Not just mm. phenomenal drumming, but phenomenal drum sounds. And I don't mind if you're laying down a really slick, sort of lazy beat like this, but make them sound good. And they just, I don't think they sound great. Um, the lyrics are, for this one, are a bit muddled. And we didn't talk about the lyrics much. It almost feels like two different song ideas. You know, you've got that first section, reach out, hands in the air, don't care what they're saying, blah, 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 blah. Then when he calls me over and calls me brother, and I know always fighting and moonlighting, that's almost like it's a different idea that Tony's, uh, that Mike's written down and thought, well, actually, that'll work for this melody or this, this, this part that we've written, so I'll sort of shoehorn it in because it doesn't really flow very well. And then if it's going to get better, it starts the feeling is the, is the highlight of the whole thing. So lyrically, like I said, it's just a bit, a bit random. Those end lyrics, like I said, they, they kind of redeem it a little bit. Uh, production, so lyrics, sorry, I, I said five. Production, I went three because I'm not a huge fan of the synth bass on this one at all. And I think the, the synth bass and the drums really, really date this one where I think it could be, again, it's one of those where you think, I think this song could be better. I think there's definitely something there. It's a good idea that's not as well executed as some of the others. Um, and it's just a bit one speed, you know? It's a bit, <sighs> all right, well, are we going to do anything or are we gonna no all right okay well i guess we'll just wait for this one to be over then how about you how did you rate this one well i was a little nicer to it uh, I, I listened to this album like front to back uh, a couple of times while i was doing my, yeah. my ratings here and because it reminded me so much of uh home by the sea and second home by the sea i thought it was a nice a nice addendum uh to the end of that and a great way to, i thought to finish off the album where that was such a big component uh, of side a and, and even just kind of where they placed it you know, coming off the shitstorm that was Silver Rainbow. I, I thought, you know, <laughs> it's nice and it's atmospheric. Uh, musically, I, enough, I, yeah. you know, I, I know what you're saying about uh, the electronic, and uh, I, I agree, but I'm a child of the 80s, so it, it kind of makes me feel a bit nostalgic. I think that's a factor in it, too. I gave it a 7.5 yeah. for music. Okay. Uh, you know, I do wish that, you know, more guitar. Totally agree. You know, let, let, let's get some more real instruments and less electronic. I agree. But uh, for what it was... I liked it, and because it, it took me back to the Home by the Sea, 
and that kind of motif lyrically he doesn't but musically he did uh, i was able to kind of connect those dots i, I appreciate it a bit more uh, lyrically i enjoy mike lyrics I, I i'm just a simple man I, I i i can't i can't fathom tony banks lyrics for the most part he's had some really good ones but i gave it a 7.5 for lyrics i kind of like the story he was telling and i okay. thought it fit the music pretty well it's not extraordinary it's certainly not the best on the album it's probably the second worst actually uh from my ratings here but it, it's better than what we got on silver rainbow so i did judge it accordingly and then production i gave it a four because uh, i love the mix of, of phil's vocal on the chorus especially okay. it's got this really haunting quality that fits with a song about if it's going to get better, it starts with a feeling if it's going to get better, it's going to take time. And I, I got yeah, that I'm through not... his, his vocal delivery, uh, especially in, in that second uh, chorus uh, as we're fading out. Where he, he has a little more punch to it, the falsetto. It, it's almost a little tortured because this song, it, it, it should almost be a little bit tortured. So yeah, uh, I gave it seven and a half, seven and a half and four. I like that chorus though. I mean, like you said, I mean, and I, I, I certainly agree with the chorus is... Like oh my god! Like when when we had this place to go to, why didn't we go to that earlier? That's that was that's my production criticism is I don't think it's as well arranged as it could be. But again, I think the home by the sea thing. I'm I'm going to be really curious to to listen to those three songs in sequence now to see how I feel about that. I might even just do a little bit of crossfade on the on the yeah. end of second home and and this one just because I think I've got a feeling you. I think you're onto something here. Well, and, and think something. about it lyrically too, right? We we had the ghosts. You know, he becomes a ghost yeah. in Second Home by the Sea, right? Now you got, if it's going to get better, starts to the feeling, if it's going to get better, it's going to take time. Now you resigned yeah. your fate uh, to being a ghost in the Home by the Sea, you know. Because it shows that I'm not dreaming because you know it's time for a change. Well, that's a pretty big change. Corey Morris, that is, he's the, the poet Making philosopher. He's, he's, he's on to something. Making you think today. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, again, I mean, I just, I think too that the issue that this song, you know, taking it all too hard, and especially Silver Rainbow, they're up against such heavyweight Genesis songs on this album that, you know, and I'll also say too, though, that I love this album, and when I listen to it, I don't skip Silver Rainbow either. Like, I listen to this front to back very happily because it's that weird thing sometimes with an album, right, where, and you're an album listener, the same as me, Corey, you don't skip songs because they're part of the album. Exactly. Apart yeah. from Who Done It, which is the only song in my <laughs> record in my catalogue that I lift the needle on, listen to the album because it's it's part of the experience of that album and the, and the downs are just as important as the ups and i think that you know because we're reviewing these songs in isolation you do lose a little bit of that sort of you know holistic view of the of the album as a whole so and that's why the my first time through i'd listen to the whole record front to back i usually put like yeah. i had this one obviously on vinyl so i listened to it on vinyl and then afterwards i came here put on the headphones and did track by track and did my ratings yep. that way. And as a full experience, like you said, uh, it works a heck of a lot better. Kevin, what were your averages for side B of Genesis? So music was 7.5, okay. lyrics was 6.5, and production was 3. So again, I think you know the, the, two, the highlights of this side are fantastic, and I think they're probably on every Genesis fan's playlist. I can't imagine that they wouldn't be. Um, they're just It's let down by not bad songs, just a bit weak. They're just a bit weak. They're fine album songs. They're fine. But an album where they've produced so much quality, you think, oh, I just wish it hadn't dropped off quite as much as it did. You know, which is maybe a little bit unkind. And we didn't really. I mean, I don't think, what was my lowest um, song on this side was 5-5 five, five and 5-4 five, and 2. So it was, it was only just under average. I'm not saying, yeah. you know, none of these are snowbound. None of these are whodunit. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. none of them are stinkers. They're just not, they don't quite match the heights that we had on the on the rest of the songs on this record. Perfect. 
Uh, my average is a little bit higher. I was eight and a half for music, seven and a half for lyrics, and four uh, mm-hmm. for production. So uh, we're, we're, we're not that far off. So no. when I combine my side A scores with my side B scores, I come up with a grand total out of 50, and my total for Genesis is 43.5 out of 50, which is uh, by far my highest grade yeah. uh, on a record. My, my second highest was Duke at 38. So I'm 43 and a half for Genesis. Kevin, what was your final score? So my side A was 23 and my side B was 17. So that makes for 40, which yeah, that's, it's a strong, that's a strong record and definitely my highest and most definitely our highest overall. I think probably by a little bit of a, by a little way, say, because oh, uh, you said Duke was our highest to this point, which was what? 70, 74.5. This right. is nine points higher. It's 83.5 is the total on Genesis. So that is the, the current leader uh, with only, well, we have two to go, but only one more that we're ranking. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, okay, I don't know so, what you guessed. You don't know what I guessed. But if we guessed one of these, uh, hopefully it's Genesis because that's the current leader. I had a question for you on that. We are gonna. We are still gonna rate Invisible Touch, right? Yes. We're just gonna count it in the ratings. Exactly. Yeah. We'll we'll still have a final grade, and you know, it's it 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 still might rank out to be in the the ultimate catalog clash winner. It's yeah. just for our little contest the next to yeah. see who's gonna determine the next one. So uh, Invisible Touch ratings still count. We'll see if it surpasses Genesis, and then we have We Can't Dance right after. So still two opportunities to knock off the current champ, Genesis. But when it comes to our little contest, we're discounting Invisible Touch. So there's only one more opportunity, We Can't Dance. Uh, if anyone uh, picked Genesis, they're looking good right now. Uh, Duke was the, uh, like we said, and then after that was Trick of the Tail, and then Wind and Withering, kind of shockingly, that Abacab finished <laughs> as low as it did for me. I still yeah. can't believe it, because I still pop on Abacab and have a fun time listening to it. Man, I love Abacab, but... We went through it, honestly. And okay, I was going to say, yeah. this is going to be, I think it's going to be fun because at some point in this podcast, on one season, I'm betcha that we're going to pick the album that we're going to discount and that, and I betcha there'll be a one artist where that's not the highest rated album. And wouldn't it be funny if In the Invisible <laughs> Touch didn't beat Genesis or, if, you know, We Can't Dance Beat or whatever, if something yep. beats this because, you know, we're, we're coming in saying, well, you know, Invisible Touch was the, it was the hugest album they ever released by so far. It's not even funny. In terms of record sales, in terms of chart hits, in terms of songs they played live, and any metric you want to choose, Invisible Touch is their biggest album. But when we get to it, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I tell you, uh, would you be shocked if Invisible Touch was not the highest rated album in the Phil, Allen's era, Phil Collins era of Genesis? <sighs> not massively. I would, I would be a little bit shocked, yeah. I, I think I would be surprised, but I wouldn't be aghast, <laughs> right? So... <laughs> Which is so I tell you, 83.5, th- 83.5 is going to be tough to beat, I think. That's high. That's really high. Yep. Yeah. You know, is there a silver rainbow on Invisible Touch, though? That's what we have to determine. There yeah. is not. <laughs> there is not. There just isn't. I mean, I'm going to lay my cards on the table right now. There just isn't. There's not a weak track on that album, which is a problem there, there's, for every other album that we are going to face, right? Exactly. My, my second favorite album cut from Genesis is on Invisible Touch. Oh, I'll have to give some cogitation to what that might be, then. Maybe I'll send you 50 bucks if you can guess which one it is. All right. Did I say 50? I meant five. Five bucks. <laughs> okay, Corey. So I want to play our game again. Um, All right. Of course, if people were listening last week, they'll remember it's called And Then There Were Three, where I give you three artists and you've got to put them in order of how many monthly listeners they have on Spotify. Before I give you this week's three, though, Corey, I was thinking about this and I think this is a little bit unfair about me putting you on the spot because you don't have Spotify and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just picking on you here like you do on uh, your two other music podcasts, uh, Aerosmith and Van Halen, where you just 
torture your poor co-hosts. I think we should alternate yes. this week to week. I think that I should do it this oh, week. Oh, okay. And next week, I think maybe you should pick the three artists and we'll uh, oh, I like put that. them on the spot. Okay. I like that idea. Yes, let's do that. Okay, so Invisible Touch, first episode. Side, side A, uh, I'll give them to you. Side B, you give them to B. Fantastic. Excellent. Okay. So your, arti- your artists for this week, though, are Genesis, of course. We always include Genesis. Mm-hmm. Men at Work, the Aussie powerhouse band, and Crowded House, New Zealand powerhouse band. So, Men at Work, Genesis, and Crowded House, what order do those three artists come in? Geez, that's a good one this week. I, I imagine these are, are could be fairly close. I'm going to go Genesis, Crowded House, Men at Work. Top to bottom? Yep. Okay. You've got one, right? Oh. No, sorry, you said Genesis. Genesis, then Crowded House, then Men at Work. You got them all wrong. <laughs> oh, really? Crowded House, <laughs> Genesis, Men at Work. So... Men, uh, wow. Sorry, I've done this. No, I've done this wrong. I've done this wrong, Corey. I flipped the wrong, okay. the two wrong. Yeah, you got one right. You said credit house bottom, right? No, I yeah. said men at work bottom. Oh my God. Men at work bottom. Yeah. So men at work atop. Wow. Eight and, a, eight and a half million listens. Genesis next at seven and a half. Credit house just shy of a seven coming at third. I figured it'd be close, but I thought Don't yeah. Dream It's Over alone would put that above men at work that popular. Wow, I I wouldn't have necessarily thought so, but I mean, we're going to do those guys at some point because it's only three albums, but my God, what a three album run. I'm looking forward to it because all I know is uh, Vegemite sandwiches, so let's do it. Yeah. Do you, know, you don't know Men at Work very well? Not really, no. Oh, mate, you're I know, I know a Land Down Under, and who could it be now? Colin Hay, as a vocalist, you are going to oh, love great. him. So. Great, yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. That's why I said, yeah, bring him on. Men at Work, I'd love to get into their catalog. You just want me to do Men at Work because it's only three albums, then you get to pick again, probably, because you'll win. <laughs> and then I'll get one. Well, we're going to get some, some fucking striper or striker or bloody's prism or something. It's got like nine million fucking hair metal albums. Oh, yeah, we're going to do striper, the fucking Christian glam metal <laughs> band. That, oh, it's terrible. Oh, it's so bad. P- uh, Pot of Thunder just did a striper song. And oh, yeah. poor Chris L., was just he was just in pain. He's like, because the the guy who submitted it, it's like, oh, Michael Sweet's a tremendous vocalist. Like he sounds like fucking dog shit. <laughs> he, just, he he sounds like a dog whistle. It's so high pitched and it's just all vibra- <laughs> just constant vibrato and everything. Oh, it's god awful. And it, I, I shouldn't say God because it's a Christian rock band, and I'm gonna get smoten now. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know what? I'll save you a seat in hell, buddy. Don't worry. I'll get, oh, I'll get you. your nice you, review friend. to the to the rapture. You know, we're all good. <laughs> Um, we should say that, you know, you just, you guys just did a, on the, and the podcast will rock, you just did a phenomenal, um, marathon live stream covering marathon the is Fair right. Warning album because you're, you know, you're, you're ranking each song or you're, you're talking about each song and you're, you're, you vote it up, vote it down, you put the poll out to the people and now you've got this fantastic community that you've built where you brought on a whole bunch of guests and you polled a whole bunch of other people, me included, I got, was very privileged to be able to vote on this mm-hmm. to rank the, uh, songs on the album in order. And you had yeah, it was a lot of fun. Pot of Thunder, which was, which was, man, what a what a trip that was. I was shocked, like as if Chris L doesn't have anything better to do on a Saturday night. But uh, he said no, his, his wife gave him the okay, and uh, he came on the call, and it was a long, long night. It was almost three hours of of live broadcast. But he said he had a blast, and he's going to come back on on the Women and Children show, which we're hoping Fantastic. to do end of September. Which I got to work around your schedule because you were missed. Uh, you were brought up a few times, my friend, and uh, you were really missed. So we got to make sure. 
that we get you on that. We've got to bring Scott Haskett on because he'll pick just the complete ass backward songs. <laughs> and it's fantastic. I love that he does. He has such such out there taste in music. He loves Snowbound. Favorite, yep. favorite Genesis song of all time. So he's definitely going to uh, pick yeah. Tora Tora as number one, right? And you know that. That's oh, yeah. Happening. It's going to call it. Absolutely. going to break loose. <laughs> yeah. I, I think he's already tipped his hand on that one. But we'll, we'll, we'll try and keep it around the two hour mark. Maybe not. The problem is Eric Senich. Let's just call a spade a spade. <laughs> Eric Senich likes to talk. And I think he's lonely. So, because he gets on these calls, man, and he just goes. And it's great until he goes off on his tangents and he starts yeah. talking about, you know, the Roman Empire or whatever, you know, <laughs> transom that, that pops in his consciousness at the time. But uh, we love Eric and he's going to be on every live show that we can get him on. He always dials in from his car at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, you, you see this guy pop up and he's in his car and he's just listening along. And then, you know, he, he, he logs off, he gets back into his house and turns his computer on. But <laughs> okay, well. That's a good lean-in. As I can, I can, I can segue here, Corey. Where can oh, people good. find you? What are the other podcasts that you do? Tell everyone where they should listen. Well, uh, we have the Van Halen show called "And the Podcast Will Rock." Uh, breaking down the Van Halen catalog, we got twenty-nine songs left on our wheel. Uh, we're going to keep it going after that. I don't know, man. It's fifty-fifty, depending on the day. We're going to keep it going or not. So, uh, you know, let's go check that one out. We're going to the Women and Children first show coming up in September. If you're listening to this before the end of September, uh, you can always find them again on YouTube. Uh, find us on YouTube, find us on uh, Twitter or X or Facebook or Instagram, uh, at Podcast Will Rock on all the socials, uh, www.podcast will rock. Get yourself some Kevin Brown uh, created merch. I know I got to put in a big order before I go see Kiss. I got to make sure I wear some Kevin Brown <laughs> stuff uh, for the big Kiss show coming up in Saskatoon in November. But uh, that's that show. I do a show with Scott Haskin called Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited, breaking down the Aerosmith uh, catalog. Uh, find us on all your favorite social media at BT Aerosmith on uh, Twitter and uh, not on Facebook because uh, uh, we're just too damn lazy. Actually, they wouldn't let us create a page <laughs> for Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited, if you could believe it. Scott tried a couple different times and we were denied. What? Uh, I have no idea what the hell he's doing wrong. I, I think he posted pictures of his penis with it and, and they flagged it because <laughs> I can't figure, I've never known Facebook to ever deny a page before. But no. uh, anyways, right now it's just Twitter. Talk to Scott on there. Uh, I also do a show called Backtracks Theme Music with John Mariano talking about all of our favorite things uh, involving music and movies. And of course, you can find all those shows as well as a few of Kevin's on a little thing called the Deep Dive Podcast Network, www.deepdivepodcastnetwork.com. Lots of great shows on there, including a few Kevin Brown originals. Tell us about them. Yeah, you got the Tom Petty Project and Seaside Pod Review. So Tom Petty Project is my little baby that I do on my own, which is a weird thing to do, I think, for a podcast mainly about music, but um, I enjoy it. And then Seaside Pod Review is a Queen podcast that I do with my friend Randy Woods. Corey has been on both shows, and I've been on all of his shows, which I would say you should definitely check out. And I will say, you know, without blowing smoke up my friend's ass, they are appointment listening. I tune in every week. Apart from there's only one episode of your shows that I've missed because I don't want spoilers about the movie. And that's the Indiana Jones, <laughs> the Indiana Jones episode, which I will get to, but I'm not there yet. Yeah, um, check us out on social media, Ultimate Catalog Clash on Facebook and You Catalog Clash on Twitter. And just let us know what you think, because, you know, not everyone agrees on Genesis. They're, they're quite a polarizing band. They lost a lot of fans when Pete left. They lost even more when Steve Hackett left, but they gained so many fans in this pop era. Not everyone loves pop. I think they did it quite well. You know what? Until next week, when we're going to start talking about the big one, the green and orange album, you know, that I I traced that album as a kid. I made mixtapes. I did everything. It's one of those albums that's a part of who I am as a, as, as a Did you trace being. it too? Like, did you oh, take God, the yeah. paper and trace the Abs hand? I did that in, in an art class in school. Oh, my God. <laughs> we are such 
fucking nerds. <laughs> People, why are you listening to us? Go do something better with your lives. Be more productive. And we'll see you next week. Thank you so much.